We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Podcast. I'm your host, Carla Navas. And with me today is not one of our normal guests. It's not one of our normal panelists here at Miami Heat Beat. Uh, we're trying, trying new things this week. We're trying to be more guest-heavy, get some more introspection on other teams. I welcome in the great Jackson Frank of many places, uh, Dime, uh, Up Rocks, Basketball News, Liberty Ballers, Opta Analyst. So many places. Jackson, thank you for coming on our program again. I appreciate it greatly for you your flexibility helping me out today yeah absolutely i think i think the intro that you the intro music that you have over here at the ap is one of the one of the best if not the best that i've heard on podcasts and whatnot isn't so. it snappy it's, it's yeah fun, it's, you know uh fun it's light. i like it a lot our co-host Alf, we used to have a, a different one that uh that my cousin actually produced and we we had one of our co-hosts he's like okay this is lame we got to get this out of here we gotta <laughs> we, we gotta fix this and i go listen all yours alf and and he he hooked us up so shout out to alf as always yeah you can find him hosting our hangover time post game show. So we got a lot to get into today. Obviously Heat Sixers last night. Jackson, the foremost expert on Philadelphia Sixers uh, on Twitter that I think I mean one of the smartest damn people on this hellhole app that we call Twitter. <laughs> um first I want to I want to say if you're listening or watching on YouTube there was no stream today. So you didn't miss anything. Your notification bell is not working. Uh, we had to record a little earlier, had some work stuff and and Jackson was kind enough to accommodate that. So we're only going to be on YouTube today. So if you're looking on the pod, what happened we're on YouTube, thank you, by the way, to our Twitch audience at twitch.tv slash Miami Heat Beat. Uh, your contributions and your viewership and patronage means the world to us and it keeps us going. And we thank all of you and same to the pod audience. Before we get into stuff today, I want to remember we're doing a bit of a contest for our listeners. We need more five-star reviews on, on, on iTunes because Laker fans are still, we're mad at me. Uh, during the finals run because we were mean to the Lakers and we were mean to Rondo and, and Anthony Davis. So they gave us a lot of bad reviews. So we're only at like four and a half stars. We want to get that higher to five. So if you submit a funny review, a five-star funny review, we're going to give away one of our two T-shirts, either the mechanic design approved by Mr. Dwayne Dedman himself 
or the lab design. So you get to pick whichever one. If you just screenshot your review and tweet it to at MIHeapBeat on Twitter at the end of the year, kind of a little bit after Christmas, we're going to pick the best and funniest one and we're going we're gonna to send you a shirt. So get on that now. Uh, Jackson, listen, Dwayne Dedman, you know, we dubbed him the mechanic. It was, it's kind of like a show bit because he just like looks like he'll fix the fuck out of your Pontiac, right? <laughs> and he loved it. He loved it to the point that he dressed as the mechanic for Halloween and <laughs> tagged us. And the Heat have kind of been in on the the Heat have been in on the nickname. He's in on the nickname. So you know we we got we got we got to support. Heck yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love when players uh, embrace nicknames they didn't choose for themselves. And I, don't, I feel like I feel like the old adage right, you never can pick a nickname for yourself yeah. unless apparently you're unless Kobe, Kobe, but. Um, That's but yeah, I think it's even cool when they embrace it and they, they connect with the fans and all that. So, uh, yeah. And he's, I mean, he's been really impressive since he signed with the heat last spring or whatever, whatever it was. And so, uh, it's, it's been cool to watch him kind of find his footing back in the league and connect with a new fan base and play well. Jackson, let we could start there because he started at center in place of Bama Debio, who's out for God knows how long. Hope he gets well soon with a ligament in his, in his, I think it's right hand. And Debden has kind of been thrust into the fire, you know, kind of spot starting. Miami's super thin at center. You know, they have Yurt7 backing up. Debden and Spo doesn't super trust him. They go a lot of KZ and PJ Tucker because Markeith Morris is still, by the way, out. We're almost a quarter. I think I think it's we're up to 19 games uh, of Marquise Morris missing time after the uh, the uh, the tussle with with Jokic, and he's really Jackson. They're only backup four, right? Because I mean, I don't know if you count KZ, but like KZ wasn't getting minutes before this, so. You know, Deadman comes in, spot starts. His the lineup data is amazing for him. I mean, they're still they're almost like plus ten with him on the court. That includes a lot of his his starts. You know, when he's off the bench with Hero, they're they're approaching plus twenty net rating with like a one twenty three offensive rating. I've been stunned. I mean, he's shooting not a ton. He's shooting sixty percent from three. The, the volume is really low. I feel like he's kind of dipping his toes back in there again. But Jackson, I'm stunned at what he's given them. Like absolutely blown away. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed. Obviously, you know, you're catching every game. I'm catching, you know, every other, every three games. But uh, even dating back to last year, I thought he was really impressive as a roller, just making things happen. Um, you know, I thought at times against Joel Embiid, you know, in that zone, in that in that man-to-man, he was good at fronting, keeping Joel out of, you know, deep post position. Um, moved the ball well. I mean, he had five assists. I don't recall any of them being super noteworthy for, against the Sixers. Maybe I'm missing them, obviously, because I'm focused a little more on the Sixers aspect of things when they play. But um five assists or five assists it means you're doing something well at least so um you know i thought he was good about getting the ball to you know miami shooters that were particularly hot in the first half and uh at that game so yeah i've been really impressed with him you know i it's always it's always interesting you know, i feel like there's always a guy or two who's either out of you're on a bad team that like seven different fan bases are clamoring for and then it turns out usually that maybe they don't have as much left as you thought and deadman felt like that guy for a couple of years and he's absolutely you know, giving the heat a ton. And so like, I know Sixers fans wanted him at times to back up and be given his, you know, idea. Ideally he was a guy who could trust the floor a little bit. And he's a former Sixer. I think he was maybe there briefly during the process era, but um, yeah, he's been really impressive. And you know, I thought that last night was a good example of that. I mean, he gave, he gave them good minutes and, you know, I don't think he had any means he was locking down too well and they went to the zone a lot, but um, when they did go to man, he was, I thought he was good. And he was also just you know, kind of everything else I described offensively. He was really useful and, you know, helped help the help the Heat spot a twenty three point lead that they eventually uh, held on to. <laughs> so, a couple of notes on Deadman: uh, one point three one points per possession as a role man, which would be in the eightieth percentile of, of the league, which is just really impressive for, like I said, a, a dude who 
know, wasn't playing, you know, a couple of years ago and, and has just been really thrust in and, and, you know, he's not that old. He's only 32, but, you know, still impressive. I want to, I want to kind of piggyback on what you were saying about the zone and, and him on Embiid. So Jackson, typically what they, what they've always done is they front right with Bam or whoever, and they send help. Right. And typically that guy is, is Ben, whether he's at the free throw line or, at the dunker spot or wherever he is, you know, he's, he's not, you know, weak side corner, right? He, he's close enough to the action where that help is a little quick and it's, it's kind of easy. And Joel has had, you know, his, his documented issues with, with turnovers, especially off doubles. They didn't do a lot of that. They did some fronting, but it's, it was a lot of the zone. And I thought in, in the first half, Joel went to kind of the, the soft spot of the zone, right? Kind of shot over that smaller help. And the second half, I don't, did he score a point? He had, I think, three points. Did he end up with 17? I think he had 14 in the first half, so yeah. I think he ended up with 17, so three points. But only one bucket. I think he was one of six. No fat, no free throws. Uh, I think yeah, his only bucket was at three, maybe midway through the third, late in the third, when the Sixers were starting to claw their way back into it. Yes, but I know the one. There was, there was a stretch, I think, maybe the first seven or eight minutes of that game, or seven or eight minutes of the second half, where he didn't shoot either, which some of that was on the heat. Um, but some of that was all, you know, some of that was on the six or excuse me, but some of it also is credits the heat. So, um, yeah, I think that was a, that was an interesting approach, that, you know, because as you mentioned, I've, you know, I think last year the Sixers and heat played this, the heat smoked them late in the year and, uh, and Joel had a tough game and, you know, because it was through the strategy that you, you mentioned, but yeah, a lot of that, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to interpret it really. I felt like the heat definitely deserves some credit, but at the same time, it felt like a lot of just poor approach from the Sixers, right? Like. You know, when Joel went to the middle of the zone, it worked well. And the same thing goes back to against uh, against the Warriors last week when the Sixers won. The, the Warriors went zone late in that game, and Joel was moving around. He was, he was going from the high post to the low post to the different elbows, spacing when he had to. And when he did that, the, they they got good possessions. You know, he didn't always score, but then it felt like they went away from that. So I don't know if that's all on Joel. I don't know if that's, you know, the coaching staff. But, um, you know, the very, the very fact that Miami threw something at the Sixers that – they had a lot of struggles with getting the ball to their best player um, is, is a credit to them. And I know that Seth, you know, didn't have the best shooting night, you know, one for four. Thibault, not the best shooter, but, you know, the 0 for 3. So hurts. Joel shooting, is that common? I mean, Joel, Joel shot five threes. I thought that was a little strange. And there were some possessions where it was late in the clock and he really had no choice. But I, I kind of thought Miami did a good job of kind of getting him to those shots. Doesn't seem like he likes taking them that much at that frequency. But I think that's a win if you're the Heat. Yeah, I think I don't. Maybe I'm missing some, but I know two of them at least were kind of like one was in the first half of late clock. Tobias and Matisse both passed up yeah, shots, yeah. and then Joel had to take one. And then there was obviously that that game tying attempt that I didn't necessarily expect Joel to, to get it. I mean, he's been shooting the ball pretty well from three dating back to last season, but um, yeah, two two plays there. But about two or three games where he's been. He talked preseason about wanting to take more and um, how he wants the team to take more threes, which hasn't really manifested. Um, because threes can be hard to produce, and for all of you know Ben Simmons' issues, he can kind of help produce threes, especially on the break. That's the biggest thing that where they're not getting as many threes. But uh, yeah, I think you know five is is more than anyone would really prefer, um, you know, for the Sixers. But at least two of them were kind of circumstantial. Not that you were saying otherwise, but um, one of them at least you know was circumstantial because the zone was working and they they were forcing the ball into Joel's hands, you know, late in the clock you know, on the wing, twenty three feet from the rim. 
It's kind of wonky because like they they're supposed weird about the zone lately because ever since Bam and, and Jimmy went down, well, I mean obviously they're, they're two best defenders, you know, and then Caleb Martin who had been giving them really really solid minutes, especially defensively. My co-host would make fun of me if my camera went out and they were here to see that they love they love teasing me, um, and they haven't done too much zone right. I think they've they've kind of relied on their wing depth and they're switching and, and I mean they they dropped Edmund and they they switched mostly everything else. And you know the Sixers' bigger team immediately. I think, I think the the Grizzlies game spooked them a little bit about the zone because they were just absolutely crushed on the boards. They rebounded Philly by ten. Kyle drew Jackson. I don't know if you found this as funny as I did when Lowry drew two rebounding fouls on Embiid. I was like maximum grift by Kyle. Just peak. Yeah, Kyle Lowry. that one that was especially egregious in Joel's eyes, right? Where he yeah, no further back. Which it was no, it was a foul on on Joel, but. Lowry just just stuck his butt right into Joel's knee or thigh or whatever it was, and and B was trying to reach over the top, and he didn't like the call there. But yeah, I mean the Sixers have been a pretty bad rebounding team all year, especially in the offensive class. Because you mentioned that they're maybe a bigger team, they're bigger than the, the Heat, right? But they're they're kind of small. They don't have a ton of wing depth. I mean, they started Matisse, and he's you know for all his exploits defensively, he's still a six five wing who isn't you know he isn't a strength based defender, right? I mean their be- their only real natural wing is Danny Green. Uh, and you know, the lineup made more sense when he came when he closed that game and played more minutes than Matisse. But um, yeah, the, the size on the wings has really been an issue. And thought that was you know part of the issue against the zones that they just they didn't have good ball movement. Um, but even defensively too is that they didn't have anyone with size on the perimeter that could contest or really kind of deter Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson from getting off relatively clean looks. I mean there were some contested shots, but Duncan, despite his struggles this year, is a great shooter and. You know, Gabe Vincent is a guy who's historically been a pretty good shooter, even though he's been up and down throughout his career in terms of, you know, year-by-year year results. Is, is You know, so I saw Thibel on on Duncan a ton, and I'm wondering if that's something that the Sixers like to do. Do they like to put him on really elite movement shooters and not more scoring wings? It, it depends on the matchup, honestly. I mean, he was he was great against Steph. Uh, it was a team effort. I mean, the Warriors missed some open threes and whatnot, but he, he also did a lot of good stuff against Steph. But they'll put him, they put him on De'Aaron Fox at times. They put him on Zach Levine. Um, basically, anyone who can't really kind of, you know, bowl him over, because as I mentioned earlier, it's a slide of frame. Uh, and it's, I mean, that's kind of last year that was really kind of their weak point defensively, I would say. Those movement, those movement guys, especially in the starting five, because previously Danny Green was a starter, and he's just not someone who can really chase guys off. You know, he struggled with Joe Harris, struggled with Bradley Beal at times. Um, Danny's at best at help playing the nail, playing you know, on the inside. We saw that. He saw that. I mean, Danny yeah. helped turn the game with his off-ball defense. Um, he's, he's but so yeah, they'll, they'll just kind of put Matisse in where they think he's he fits best, and I, I definitely think that made sense because you know Lowry is a guy who this year is you know, and at times uh, throughout his career has kind of been a guy who just figures out what the game needs and isn't, you know, if, you know, maybe he'll go get 25 or whatever if he needs, but um, he's not a guy who's really going to, you know, drive to the rim 40 times or take, you know, eight pull-up threes these days. So I thought it made sense, but yeah, they'll really stick him on whoever they feel necessary, but it didn't work that well. I mean, Matisse was, was pretty dang uh, poor in, in that, in that game. And part of the reason he only played 14 minutes. Well, like, and, and the reason why I asked that is because the fan base here is super polarized on Duncan. Right. And I think, People are like, okay, well, he got paid, which is not fair to him. Like, he got paid, and now he's not playing well. And you know how fans are, which is, it's just unfair because every coach is terrified of him. Like, Drew Holiday starts games on him. Matisse Thibel starts games on him. So it's like very the, the Lakers send two at him, you know, every time they run a handoff. So I'm watching. I was like, well, I mean, the, the league certainly doesn't feel that, right? They're still scared of him. So the game plan seems, okay, well, like, you know, let's cut the head of the snake. You know, we don't trust 
you know, Lowry's dribble penetration too consistently, especially when we have an elite drop big like Embiid. And we'll live with the in-between game. If you're going to kill us with floaters, fine. And, and as long as we get, you know, Thibel, you know, kind of coming over a screen and, and getting into Duncan on a one-on-one, I think we like our chances. And it, it just seems so consistent, you know, Jackson, that teams are doing that. So I'm, I'm really glad that you gave, you know, you gave a little perspective on that because I'm just, I'm over fans, you know, in November saying, no, this guy sucks or this guy is not good anymore. I'm, I'm like sick of it. No, there's no such thing as a big game in November or December. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, he's what, shot over 40% from three, two straight years, including 45% or 44% two seasons ago. Like, I mean, the dude's been a been an absolute marksman for half a decade or probably a decade now, honestly, in his basketball career. He didn't, you know, third of a year is not going to change things. But, yeah, I think, you know, he, he he was who the Sixers deemed the most potent offensive player given, you know, the Miami slew of absences. And so they threw Matisse on him. And I think that's why Matisse started. I am curious, you know, just as an aside, I'm curious, you know, is Matisse the long-term starter now, or you know, has that just been because they, you know, played a couple of teams that had really, really good off-ball scores, and you know, Steph and Duncan Robinson to different degrees, obviously not not grouping those. Two. <laughs> yeah. um, but Matisse also did start against um, the Grizzlies, and they have Desmond Bain, who's a little different type of player, but also really good off the ball. And Bain was kind of quiet, but um, curious to see if that you know if that continues to be the case because it's three straight games where Matisse has started, but it's also three games where you know a team's premier perimeter player. Is someone who can really work well off the ball, which is where Danny kind of struggles chasing those sorts of players. I think it makes sense, especially if like I mean, obviously last night was was kind of a struggle for him shooting it, and and I think Seth as well. And I think if you have enough guys firing, you can survive with one guy that gets helped off of because you know you're just one swing away from finding an open guy. So Maxi, man, he's so good, he's so fun. I mean, you know, he fans and Sixer fans like we like to get into, it, but you can't. Even, that dude is, he's so freaking fast, he's so quick, he's so fun, he has such a he has such an effervescence about him that, you know, you know, when we remove ourselves from fandom in the game, he's just, he's just fun as hell, man. Yeah. I mean, that was his best game since like Embiid returned to lineup because they're just kind of discordant offensively. Um, but That's interesting. So he's, he's struggled until last night, I guess the, the kind of, he, he was, he was good against Memphis when Joel set out with some rib, some rib, rib injuries or rib contusion or soreness, whatever it was. He, he kind of, he, he, he did something to himself in the jazz game last week. Um, had him sit out. So, um, but yeah, he was, he was really good. I think, you know, the, the key was he, you know, he, he, he picked his spots well, like when they kind of went to that four and a half, five out Matisse or not Matisse, Max, he made something happen. And then finally, which is what Sixers fans, writers, analysts have kind of been asking for is he got minutes, more minutes when Drummond was out there because he was so awesome for basically the entirety of Joel's three week absence. And it's because the offense was catered around him. You know, Drummond is, has, has his own issues offensively, but he sets very good screens and he's still a lob threat despite his finishing issues. And Joel doesn't set screens anywhere consistently as Drummond does. And you just can't get off the ground as light as he's a better finisher than Drummond, but you're not throwing lobs to Joel, right? Um, so uh, I think, you know, you, you just saw him finally get more minutes there. And I mean, that late stretch in the the third or whatever, not even just the late stretch. I, mean, I think I, I charted it when I was doing my post game recap, uh, Liberty Ballers, that he had at one point from like the eight thirty mark of the third to like the nine twenty mark of the fourth. He scored or assisted on twenty three of the six or twenty eight points. Um so I think some of it was just you know, I think maybe some of it was transition or some some cherry picking type of things with assist. But um yeah he he was awesome and it was it was good to see that maybe they're starting to turn a corner and figure out that whenever Joel Embiid is not on the floor, Tyrese Max needs to be out there to to buoy the offense. But um yeah he was I mean especially that that one stretch when he he split the double or the show, whatever you want to call it, against the ball screen and finished through 
uh, Omar Yurtsevin, which might have been a foul. He, th- he certainly thought it was a foul. And then the I think Max Struess missed a, a deep early clock three, and Maxi came down, crossed over, and kind of had that scoop led. That was I remember one. I mean, he's, he doesn't do that every game, but those are the sorts of kind of electric sequences you've come to accustom at least once or twice a week from him. So. Yeah, he was awesome. And I thought, you know, even defensively, I was really impressed. You know, I had some really nice plays that didn't always show up in the box score, but helped force a turnover against Kyle Lowry in the first half. Had had a, had a block, I think, is kind of the side or Ruby contest. And they had that one play where he got the deflection and there was a foul, no foul. Uh, oh, the, the one where he, like, did the, uh, the the little dead fish on the floor? I, I, can't, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but he, like, deflected it and then he, like, collided with Gabe Vincent or, yeah, or yeah, someone. Yeah, that was the one. He thought there yeah, was a foul uh, and he was, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what they called it, ended up, but I think the six was a no call somehow. Um, but yeah, he, I was really impressed with him on both ends. It was it was good to see for him to finally kind of find some footing with Joel in there because he just had, had really struggled you know, since Embiid returned. That's not really Embiid's fault. It's kind of one. It's, it's just on everyone involved, the coaching staff, and those two to figure out how to play better. Because I mean, those are kind of your two. I, I don't know if I can say two. I think those are kind of your two best players at their peak, and so you got to figure figure out a way to harmonize them. Jackson, are the this is a loaded question. Are the Sixers good? Because <laughs> I feel like they started off really, really good. Embiid, you know, missed a ton of time. And obviously, naturally, you know, you're, you're just going to free fall in the standings. And I don't feel like they've gotten back to that level. But I don't know. I mean, like Dallas started like 6-1 and one or something. But Dallas, like, I think people around the Mavs were like, yeah, this feels fake, right? Was, was there a sense of the same thing happening in, in Philadelphia? Or is it just like, okay, like once we're like whole – and Embiid is more of himself, we got this. Yeah, it's interesting because they started 8-2, and two and they had two wins over the Bulls, who clearly are very good. I mean, the Bulls are having their own issues with, with, with COVID, unfortunately, but they've been an awesome team through the third of the year on pace for 52 wins or something, which is you know outright a good team. Um, I I don't know. I, I, like, I wish I had a better answer, but it's been such a – such a weird year. Like I think some some of it was that the guys are playing a little over the head. Like George Niang has been good on the year, but he was really really awesome those first ten games when they're eight and two. Um, Seth Curry has still been good on the year, but he's kind of fallen back to earth a little bit. Um, and I, you know, and so that that's hurt them somewhat. But like I think they're good. I don't think they're you know top of the East good. Um, but I think it's a team that I think should win. You know, forty six to fifty games. I mean, that could come back to bite me. But um, I just think there's there's too much talent and i think that like you know i, I think maxi is a guy who's roughly an above average starter when he you know when, once if he if he and joel can figure out a way to play together or if they can figure out a way to like have more games like yesterday obviously he's not going to go 11 to 15 every game but more stretches where he kind of has the freedom to operate offensively that that really helps them so i think they're good i i don't know how good but obviously you know there's but, so I, I don't think I don't think they're what were they on pace for like sixty something wins at the start of the not, season. Not like that, but yeah. But I think <laughs> they could you know you know flirt with fifty wins, but at least get to that 45, 46 win range, which I think is pretty solid, right? Especially given the context of Ben Simmons isn't playing and and whatnot. So um, I think they're good, but yeah, somewhere in between this, I think they're like what five hundred or so since Joel's been back, yeah. um, and they were eight and two with him or seven and two with him. So somewhere in between those, but I think that roughly puts you at a a middle of the the pack playoff team, which is which is good with with the circumstances. I mean, considering you have a, a giant hole in your cap and <laughs> that is not uh, anywhere near the uh, facility organization, does he does he, he doesn't go to games, right? I th- I think he's been around like like he's been in the arena a few times before games. But he's never been on the bench. He's he's lar- if anything, he's not he's not not practicing with the team anymore. He's working with individual skills. Not trainers. after that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a whole thing. Yeah, it's been kind of. I mean that 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 uh, you've gotten some like reports from you know local people and, and whatnot. You don't know how much the validity of the validity behind all of it, but um, yeah, he's largely away from the team. You know, he's he's figuring out the mental health side of things and, and whatnot. But yeah, it'd be one thing, right? If he if he was like the the twenty third pick and he was good, but he was he just didn't want to be on the team anymore. And he was making four million dollars, but you know uh, <laughs> when he's yeah takes up, you know, $38 million of your payroll. It's, it's hard to replace. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like, he, I'm not no, saying, yeah, I know it, it's more just the economics it, of how to like, you it's, it's just the roster. Roster. guy making max money isn't playing for you. So you, you know, it'd be the same with Tobias Harris is holding around, you know, despite all of Tobias Harris's issues, you know, he, he gives them a lot of good things. So it's just the reality of it. So yeah, I think to answer your question, I think they're good, but, um, I would say closer to mediocre than outright could have been my my actual answer there. I warned Drew it was loaded. I I, I knew I knew <laughs> I knew I, yeah. it's, it's always loaded with with the Sixers. Um, so I you know I I have a couple th- like more, more like about your fan base. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, you know, Heat fans have this thing called the random scrub heat killer, right? Where there's a random dude that you've never heard of or that doesn't really play that well and they absolutely torch you, right? So it's always... It's always a dude. It's always Malik Monk, right? Malik Monk, like, will have no points for like a month, and then he'll play the Heat, and he's literally at thirty. That's <laughs> happened twice. That, I'm, that, I'm not kidding. Um, actually, it's happened three times if you count the Laker game this year. Like, or, or like, uh, I did a story once. Marcus Thornton uh, has the um, the same kind of percentage on attempts as Steph Curry, but only against the Heat, right? And it's it's Love like Marcus Thornton back in the day. Oh my I, god! I don't think he was actually any good because I was probably like twelve or thirteen when he was in the league, but. He, he could fill it up. He could, he could against the Heat, especially. Kidding yeah. me, dude? Monster. Gary Neal. 
I still have oh, Gary Neal in my nightmares. You could, I'm sure you could name every every like Wayne Spurs role player from 2007 oh. to 2015 that killed every different team. But I guess I shouldn't say Marcus Thornton wasn't good. But he was. I, I should say I definitely overstated how good he was back when I was you know 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. I, it, it's more than like overproduction by a significant <laughs> amount, but only when they play you. So I think this is Gabe's second big game against the Sixers, and I just saw third, a dude on I think third. I think third, he yeah. Had, he had he had he scored more than twenty both times when they I think when the Heat were ravaged by COVID last year and yes. they had you know, that they did that two games in three days set he had he had twenty both both games it was, it was funny because I was listening to the Sixers broadcast and Ala Abdinabi who was really fun and enjoyable uh, you know for a litany of reasons was like you know like I've never seen Gabe Vincent do this and I was like Ala you called two <laughs> games last year when he scored twenty like. Like he, he smoked him last year, and the the, the, the escapes with a win in overtime when in Joel had to score like forty seven thousand points, yes. and hit, you know, twelve term pull up jumpers. So like you've seen this, it was not even a year old. Like short term memory on that, but I'm trying to think who who else would fit that mold for the Sixers. I mean, I mean, I'm just all I know is like when that ball you know bounced back Gabe Vincent's way, every person who's covered or watched the Sixers for years. Knew it was gonna. Knew it was gonna. I mean, you just. I'm so just, glad it's not just us, Jackson. No, yeah. I'm so glad because <laughs> for us, it's like that shit's tormenting, and it's like, and I just, and it's happened recently because Gabe has played well, and I just, you know, there was a dude today on CJ Square. Who the fuck is Gabe Vincent? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I like to see. They have no idea who they are. Like, let's Aaron go. Bain was was another one back when the Sixers and Celtics played the first time in the playoffs during mm-hmm. Ben Simmons' rookie year. He he hit like a bunch of corner threes and shot ridiculously well on his low volume. So that's another one, but. I have to think more, but yeah, Gabe Vincent obviously has seemingly become one of them with his three twenty point. I mean, he's probably what got like 15, 20 point games in his career, and twenty percent of them are are coming against the Sixers in four tries. I'm trying to find the two, but it was another one. It's like some guy. It's a, it's just a thread about like how to fix the Sixers, and it's just Philly fans arguing with each other. And one dude goes, "Bro, we suck. We lost to Gabe Vincent." <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know. I just felt Jackson. I felt seen, I, and I, I like talking to people about like their respective fan bases because I think. I think everyone thinks that, you know, there's there are some shared uniform experiences of liking NBA teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, man, I think you cover a team long enough, you 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 know what sorts of players burn them, you know, you know, whether it's archetype or it's, you know, spot in the rotation and and but I feel like I feel like every team, every fan base or team has those guys, right? Like I mean, I'm sure every team has its Gabe Vincent or Aaron Baines, but uh, I'll think about it a little bit before the game, whether, and I'll, I'll definitely kind of DM you or something if I think of other guys. Oh, but please. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I remember for a while, like I used to be, like I used to grow up as a Blazers fan being from the Pacific Northwest and like Ben Oudra was like, I, I apologize if I butchered his name, but he used to be a guy who killed. He lifer. Grizzlies. Uh, maybe the Kings. Yeah. Played for the Kings, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Heat, but definitely with the Grizzlies, he, he's towards them a couple of times. They played in the playoffs the, the year, the year before LaMarcus left and that team kind of crumbled. Because Wesley Matthews got injured, but uh, yeah, it's it's always fun. That'd be a fun kind of article to write about. Just like interview a bunch of different fan bases. Like who's who's the random player that kills you every time they play? It, dude, do it. it. I'm telling you, like it, it's <laughs> I. I mean, as a Heat fan, it it, it has a name here. You know, RSHK hashtag RSHK random script Heat killer, and it's been a thing since since the Big Three Heat. Uh, <laughs> so, and I, I don't know. I just I find a little joy in like talking to people and saying, like, oh, oh, you you too. Um, so that Harris Levert was another one when he was with Brooklyn. Like he it wasn't always that he was like super efficient. He just had games where he, he was good. Again. He was good when they played in the playoffs, but he had a game last year where he put up a bunch of shots and he ended up scoring like 30, on like 32 shots or something. But yeah, he's, he's a guy who, you know, seems to always kind of burn them when he was with the Nets, but 
I don't think he's I don't think he's killed them much since he came to the Patriots. Obviously, hasn't played as much, but uh, yeah, that's another guy that comes to mind at least in that playoff series and you know one time last season. I want to talk a, a bit about you know aside from the memes, I, I, you know how how well Gabe played. I mean, he's a, you know and and I, I I think a lot of time Jackson, you know, Heat culture is just propaganda to sell T-shirts, right? It's a, it's clearly like a marketing scheme developed by Miami to you know kind of you know market themselves and and then like find this you know i uh, resolve an identity and you know sell their hardest working best team shirts right oh the heat culture shirt i i sure own one um but you know at the end of the day it's that but there's i think that there's a little bit of, of truth to it in the sense of they they just and not that every team doesn't but like they just have such an emphasis on you know, giving, trying to find these undrafted dudes or these, you know, other like, you know, and, and I think part of it is just because they spend a shit ton of their cap space on stars. And then they're just, they're kind of forced to, to rummage, you know, in the G League or the undrafted uh, player pile. But, you know, Gabe has just been another one of, of these products that, you know, of, of their system, of his hard work, of his dedication and the improvement. I, I think defensively, you know, given his, he's super undersized, competes, you know, plays bigger than he is. He's often in full court press, which I just feels unfair to him. I'm like, Spo, he doesn't need to get his steps in, you know, <laughs> but uh, the dude is, did not was not an NBA shooter really before a couple weeks ago. I mean, he, he kind of came in with the reputation of a shooter, was a good shooter in the G League, but really had never put it together in the NBA and like consistently. And, and, and since, you know, Jimmy and Bam both went down and he's kind of gotten spot starts because after Caleb, you know, went out with health and safety protocols, you know, Miami's like, okay, we're going three guards. We're going Kyle, Duncan, and, and Gabe. And he's super responded, had a big game in Chicago on the road when both teams were healthy, uh, hit a bunch of monster threes. Obviously, you know, in Philly, you three best scores are out, Tyler, Jimmy, and Bam, and you come up with the win. And, and I, I said pre-show, you know, if, if they get 50 combined from Kyle and Duncan, I thought they were for sure going to lose. I was like, you know, you have, you have a chance. Right. And Gabe ended up being that guy. Kyle did not have the scoring. I don't know. I, I don't know if you if there's anything of note of, of other than, you know, him hitting shots. But I'm just like really happy for that dude, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I definitely kind of see where it comes from, especially with the heat culture thing. I think people grow tired of it. But what when when fans or just people in general talk about it, what they really just say is like the heat are good at developing players, which I think is true. Like we're not even developed like they are good at putting players in positions to succeed, whether it's a PJ Tucker expanding the game offensively with Dwayne Dedman, you know, sitting a year and a half out and figuring, you know, figuring a way to, to be good again. I think that's, that's totally some of the heat, you know, deserve, the heat and their coaching staff and all that deserve praise for. So, um, yeah, what's that to me is just, I thought there was some good versatility from his, from his shots last night too. Like, I think he hit a, a pull-up three, hit some deep ones, maybe even hit a pull-up jumper, yeah. like in a pick and roll. I don't know if it was that game or maybe it was just another heat game that I'm conflating <laughs> and I'm having watching, having watching games. <laughs> they all mess. They all mess. Yeah, exactly. I'd have to go look, look at my notes or something. But uh, I, yeah, I was just impressed with the versatility, right? I think sometimes guys can, can you know, maybe guys are great at spotting up. You run them off the line or you ask them to run, you know, take a hand off and shoot right there. Then they, they, they crumble. And I thought I was just impressed by just all the different ways that you, and a lot of it was spot ups last night, but I was impressed with all the different ways you put the ball in, ball in the hoop and you know, it wasn't just spot ups. So that's, just a, that's what stood out to me the most. And, you know, I haven't caught every game, but I've caught a few since he's been in a prominent role. And I've just been impressed in general with he has different ways to score, which is a testament to like his his ability. And, and it's important too, because especially at that size, you can't just be a, a spot up guy. It's really hard to make it's really hard, almost impossible to make a living as a, an undersized spot up off ball guard. And so he's he's showing that there's he's got more versatility than just the stationary stuff.
I was surprised they gave him a contract because really he I, I didn't I mean I think last season he had like some flashes of like being a competitor on defense but for the most part I'm like I don't I, I don't think he's like an NBA player and you know he had the, the good Olympics but I mean I've also seen Luis Scola dominate FIBA right so I, I it's it's tough to put a ton of stock into that and they they believed in him they gave him a contract they gave Max Drusa a contract which Max was not the best player especially on defense and they gave KZ a contract which KZ, I mean, we called him glitch because he would just he'd like glitch out on defense. Like and 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 it's tough on a young guy, right? And they they asked a lot of him, but like he just looks spazzy and not good. I mean, yesterday he had that that short roll catch with the little jump hook that looked I'm like, what work? From KZ Alcala? Yeah, that awesome weak side block too on, on Joel. On Embiid, yeah. I mean so I mean it was a great rotation, obviously. I thought it was cool. I like I, I made a note of it, it was like Great rotation also shows like Joel is just so slow, slow off. I mean, Joel does so many things well athletically, but quick jump, jumping quickly off the ground is not it. <laughs> he has to like charge up like he's a Mario character. Yeah, a little, I mean? little bit. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, not, he's not he's not quick, or he, and he doesn't. You know, some guys aren't quick, but they can get up once they have time. He's neither quick nor can he really get up when he has time. So it helps that he's seven foot with a seven five or six wing fan. But that was a play that was like great rotation. Also, Joel, you gotta you gotta get that ball to the rim a little quicker. Uh, a couple couple notes, and we'll, we'll get out of here. Uh, I, I learned today. I was looking at kind of the Heat's shooting because they've been up and down. The Heat have the seventh ranked offense for some reason. Their half court offense isn't good. Last time I checked, I'm cleaning the glass. They were below average. I gotta I gotta check again. But they're they're up to seventh in offense, uh, which is it's just just shocking. Ninth in defense, so they're top ten in both. Seventh in net rating, and again, Jimmy Butler's missed a ton of time. You know, Jimmy and Bam have missed double-digit games. I think Jimmy's at 10, Bam's at 11. Uh, yeah, Jimmy's missed 10, Bam's missed 11, Keith has missed 19, and again, he's their only backup four. And Oladipo, obviously, has missed 29, and those are four guys that are just, you know, foreseeably in their playoff rotation, and, and they've managed to do that. Uh, and then I was looking at kind of their shooting. You know, Duncan, you know, at 34 on the year, not great. You know, Kyle, same, 34. You know they're they're kind of creeping back up to to kind of I mean and they're both guarded out there so you know I figured that they'd improve. PJ's forty six percent from three. He was thirty four last year in Milwaukee, thirty six in Houston. The year before that, third. I mean he's having a career year. And you know like you said, I know Nikias, um, our friend over at Basketball News as well, wrote the great piece on 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 kind of the the versification of PJ's game, the little little PJ push as uh, as we call it. <laughs> I love. I mean, I, I Jackson. I don't know about you, but that shit has stunned me. I'm like, that has a handle. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I did not know. Yeah, I mean, everyone knew about the, the the fact that he would sit in the corner and he would take throughs when they came to him. And if someone else joined him in the corner, he decided to set a pin in the screen, and that was about it. But yeah, and then it, you know, if they threw a smaller guy on him, like Phoenix did in the finals, he would try and crash the offensive glass. But yeah, they're using him as a roller. Like he's got a little bit of ability. Like I think he had a. I mean, all he had. He was five of ten yesterday, and three of his field goals were, were two pointers. He had a, he scored on I think Maxi or something like he, he drove yeah. the ball and like scored over the top on like a self created little hook. Yeah, it was, it was like I mean I I gotta go back and watch some PJ Tucker film from Texas or something to. to, to Dude, I know. Look where where this <laughs> but, come yeah, from? Yeah, and that's, that just goes back to the Heat like putting guys in optimal roles, right? Like I mean, I think people like when people when people analyze that signing, it was like, yeah, he's probably like probably not like. He's probably a little overstated, right? Where this isn't the PJ Tucker of 2018, and and the Heat have figured out a way to derive more value than like switchability and 35% shooting from the corners. And obviously, he'll probably come down a little bit from you know from or he will. I would say he'll come down from three, but I, I um, expect. But it's, 
but he's not just going to be a guy who gives you you know one point or two point per possession on corner threes, right? He's going to be able to, he's going to be able to do a little more than that. So I've been super impressed with with him, and obviously the defense has been really really awesome. It, just, it feels like he's a little like a step quicker than last year. Maybe he could last year defensively, but um, it feels like the switching is really good for him, and he's allowed to apply pressure and and knows that if you know if he does if someone beats him half by half a step, you know there's someone else going to rotate over and he can take the other guy. So. Um, yeah, he's he's been key to that the Heat having a top ten defense despite you know, their two best two best all defensive caliber guys missing a combined twenty one games like you said. So and and he really gives them a lot of what what Crowder you know did and that that they were never able to replace. Not just the dude who can who can stand in the corner and shoot a dude who can set a hammer screen for Duncan so he can relocate in that corner right. So he and and that lets him shoot in motion rather than a catch and shoot, which I just think he's more comfortable with. Obviously defensively. You know, we know what he does. There's a really underrated passer. I mean, some of some of the high low stuff with him has been really good. Him passing out of the short roll has been like really, really impressive. And you know, pretty much since since they got Crowder, you know, the Heat have really they weren't always a, a stand in the corner team. I mean, obviously the Shane Battiers, right, and that stuff, but they've kind of moved away from that and had more motion to their threes. But you know, getting Crowder, you know, he would be parked in the corner and or Igadala, right? And that actually became incredibly tenuous for them last season because teams were just like, ah, fuck it, we'll let Andre shoot. And <laughs> and Jimmy's, you know, driving into help every single time. And their offense looked like crap because they're like, okay, we just switched Robinson and, and Bam handoffs and we just help off of Igadala and, you know, good luck. You know, J- Jimmy, Jimmy, do something, and it, it just didn't work. And and I think in the playoffs, the Bucks really exploited that and, and all that as well. So you know, it's just nice. And and Ariza too. I mean, Ariza was never he was never shot the ball well enough. Didn't move great. You know, wasn't doing kind of the screening that PJ. I mean, PJ. You know, n- not not that they did it against the Sixers, but I mean against other bigger teams, the Bucks especially. Giannis is is up to the level. So what Miami will do a lot of times is, you know, they'll be like, where can we get a big and drop. And we'll run our handoffs there, right? Because teams are just putting a switchy guy on Bam to switch those handoffs. So they're like, okay, how can, how can we pivot? So you know, wherever the Bucks drop player was, and they were dropping Giannis, um, they they find it. So Giannis is up to the level, like right up to the level. And PJ, who's I don't know what's he giving up a foot, oh, ten inches? I mean, a lot. And the wingspan too. He's sealing Giannis off of that handoff. So Duncan's flying off. He's be- he beats Middleton clean. He's coming off. Nobody behind him. Giannis can't contest. And it's just like, it's shit like that that I'm like, he looks unreal physically. Like, and the effort's always there. So I've just been so impressed. I mean, what did you think of his, uh, we'll get you out on this. What did you think of his, his time guarding Embiid last night? Because while they did a lot of zone, you know, I, I was surprised it did not go sideways for Miami. Yeah, I thought he did. A, he thought he did a pretty good job. And I mean, it's interesting because, like, never to I never want to just like put the onus on the offense, like say that everything's tied to the Sixers themselves. But like, I think some of it was like Joel. Like Joel, as of late, has been a lot better as a scorer, and it's because he's worked really hard to get inside position, get deep position, get low, uh, and the Sixers are doing a better job of finding him on entry passes. But um, you know, I thought PJ did at least well enough to you know on the brief occasions that Joel did try to get deep position that kind of deter him away from that. And so I thought Joel wasn't as good as he'd been in recent games, but um, it, st- it stemmed from the fact that PJ was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, you can get as low as you want, but I'm not going to let you, you know, get the ball inside the the left block, right? If you're going to catch it, you're going to get it two steps outside. But I think it's interesting. You talk about PJ, you talk about Jay Crowder. And I'm, I, I feel like teams are always looking at like, well, like, like, how do we, how do we get to the the final? Like, how do we get to a championship caliber team? And it feels like that, that big wing is, is one of those really, really key 
archetypes. You know, PJ and Jay were both on final teams last year. Jay was on a team or two years, I guess, for, for Jay. The Lakers had, you know, uh, and for all of Kyle Kuzma's issues, Kyle Kuzma was a guy who would stretch the floor decently well and move on the perimeter, and he was kind of their, their three or four. I don't know exactly, but and then Kawhi you know, with the Raptors. Kawhi like, and Pascal. Yeah, yeah. You know, Pascal, like just those 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 guys are a little bit of, you know, perimeter-based utility and can also defend two or three positions feels like a pretty important position. I think I may be stealing that take from someone else on Twitter. So, um, but it feels like one just looking at historically the last three or four years. I mean, obviously Draymond is one of them too. Yeah, I mean, so um, just feels like a pretty important archetype to have and doesn't necessarily have to be the same sort of one. I mean, Jay and PJ are different players. Kyle Kuzma's a different player. Kawhi, Draymond, they're different, all different types of players, but feels like one of those those roles that when you're building the team to try and make a deep run would be really, really, you know, not critical, but really useful and has a lot of kind of utility for you. I mean, obviously, I think wing wing score, right? Big wing score is, is maybe the most valuable archetype in the league right now. And if you can't get that guy, the next best thing you can do is big wing who can guard that guy and also shoot threes. <laughs> And it's you're absolutely right, because even if you go back, you know, obviously we've just talked about the Warriors and everything that you go back, you know, right before that big three heat, obviously LeBron, Shane Battier, those are the guys for them. And on the other side on the Spurs, it's it's Kawhi Leonard. Right. So, you know, we, we have to go back a long time where that wasn't like a, a premier part. And even back to those Lakers back to back, Ariza was, was huge for them playing a lot of four. I mean, I know they played super big, but, um, you know, back then that was the kind of wing position that, you know, you defend those scores. So. You're absolutely right, and they haven't. I thought a lot was made of the Crowder thing. Um, you know, I thought I thought he was a little bit overrated for what he did for the Heat. I know he was really hot, um, but you know he was not good in the Celtics series, and he was just not a good shooter in the Lakers series. And you know that's kind of the Jay Crowder experience, right? It's this super super hot and super cold. Uh, but but PJ just really gives you all the good of that and, and the consistency and the and the offensive rebound. He's just been spectacular. I wanted to talk about him a little bit. Jackson, where can the people find your great work? I shouted out in the beginning. Anything you have to plug, anything you want to send people your way to? Uh, well, first, I do also want to mention he's less of a mobile one, but a bigger wing is Boris Dio also for those Spurs teams. Bro, Boris Dio was in my nightmares. Let's <laughs> yeah. Sorry to rehash that for Heat fans, but anytime I can praise Boris Dio, Boris Dio, I gotta do it. But do you remember when uh, he would guard LeBron and it like short circuited <laughs> him? He's like, wait a second, I, you're doing Pop is doing what? And it was like he had to recalibrate himself a couple possessions because he's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The way they the way they use Boris in those finals matchups really kind of threw a wrench into everything Miami and LeBron were expecting, but uh, just had to give, just get Boris some, uh, some praise. Can never bypass that, but um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF everywhere that I write or talk about the NBA is in my bio there. Basketball news, dime up rocks, the analyst and Liberty ballers. Um, it's the easiest way to find me. I'll have something on Herb Jones of the Pelicans coming out Ooh. soon. He's been a really fun rookie uh, this year. I made a pretty unfortunate season for the Pelicans so far. But uh, he's been fun. He's been good. So uh, he's less of a big wing, but he's a wing, and he can guard, and he can do some stuff with the ball on the floor. So he uh, he fits the he fits the mantra. Look how well we uh, we <laughs> we parlayed that. We didn't even mean to. But uh, first circle, yeah. full circle here. Yeah, you can find all my work at those at those spots. And appreciate you having me on. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll do it again soon. We got what two more heat matches. Hopefully, we'll get yeah, an yeah. actual. Hopefully, we'll get one of, one of one of them at least with uh, you know generally all the stars involved. Well. 
all the stars that are just <laughs> that all want to play that. All the stars. I mean, well, maybe, maybe Philly can 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 trade yeah, Ben somewhere he can be happy and they can get something. I mean, you know, as a yeah. as a, as a conference rival, I you know, I'd rather not not. I'd rather Ben go to like, you know, uh, the, I'd rather the Sixers not get good return for Ben and he go somewhere happy in the West. But you know, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, we can analyze some. Nothing against Gabe Vincent, but hopefully, we can analyze some Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo stuff. Oh yeah, Jackson. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, we're a little tired of talking about you know Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin. I mean, we miss we miss Jimmy and Bam a ton here. Uh, please follow Jackson. He is one of the the kindest and, and truly one of the the brightest people uh, that that's covering the game right now. It's it's always a pleasure to speak to you uh, and and check him out and check us out. Remember, we have Hangover Time post game after every single game. If you're only a pod audience. Get in Twitch chat. It's fun. We have a good time. We roast each other. You know, chats. Jackson, our chat's mean. Our chat, like, if some listen, our chat has, is is no mercy. So if you want to participate in that, uh, catch us on Twitch live before every game with the Weird Al pregame show and post game, the Hangover Time post game show, and of course, Miami Heat beat is live on Twitch every pod except for today because you know I had some stuff to do. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Jackson, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>